So gone are the days where, okay, you go over there in the corner with the fitness coach and do your work and then come back to us and we'll do the, the technical tactical stuff. That's gone and that's going. So if you want to really express yourself as a strength and conditioning coach and have an impact on the pitch, depending on the types of managers that you work with, you know, not everybody's the same. But what I'm seeing now is that all this content will be delivered through technical, tactical based content. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high performance sport. So in this episode of the Pace of Performance podcast, I am joined by someone who I've stalked for a number of years, and that is Adam Owen. So I've stalked Adam because of his interesting journey through the industry from a head of sports science at Celtic and Rangers to a head coach, uh, sorry, assistant coach, then a head coach, then back to director of performance at the Seattle Sounders, and throughout this time, been a coach educator. And one thing that comes across in this episode, as it has in a a number of other episodes with people like Adam who've straddled the performance and the technical and tactical side, is as strength and conditioning coach and sports scientists, how important it is to understand the sport that we're working in. Not understand it from a game demands, but really understand what it's like to be out there on the pitch, what it's like to interact with players and with all honesty, it's why professional ex-professional athletes get jobs because they understand the sport and that comes across in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a great chat with Adam. Got such deep knowledge, not only on the performance side, but on the technical and tactical side as well. So over to Adam and I'm sure you'll love this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. I measure you have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer life battery to collect data all day, real time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, 
the US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Adam Owen. Adam Owen, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's been a long time coming, but I'm absolutely delighted to get you on. No, thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. Um, apologies it hadn't happened sooner, but um, obviously different logistical issues and, and situations arise as they do. So uh, yeah, no, thanks. Hotel Wi-Fi, an absolute burden. Yeah, it killed Seattle, it Hotel it Wi-Fi. <laughs> I know, I know. Killing us, but we've got it sorted and uh, logistically we're all we're all set. So Adam, you've had probably the most interesting or one of the most interesting and diverse diverse in the industry but still diverse backgrounds that I've ever had in the podcast so I'd love for you just to give a bit a brief introduction to that back uh, brief background of you but that's going to kind of form the next 45 minutes to an hour so don't go too deep because there's there's so much to uh there's so much to jump off from so over to you a little bit background yeah no problem um well Basically left left school, um, did okay in school. Um, obviously, like like many other kids, always wanted to to be a footballer, um, and I got the opportunity um, to sign for my hometown club, Wrexham, at the time, which were a good team in League One um, way back when. Should I say twenty years ago? Which sounds like an absolute well, it is a lifetime ago. Um, and the opportunity to to sign for them as a schoolboy, and then obviously go on and sign as a as a full-time player for them at 16 was great. And and even then I, I was very, very conscious just due to the, my parents was, was always about trying to continue with your academia at the same time. So instead of cleaning changing rooms, I, I went to, uh, to night school and did an English language night school. Um, even when I was a, a young player and, and that was one thing that, that I felt in terms of developing that work ethic was really, really keen. So, um, yeah, ended up, um, playing a couple of years at Wrexham. Um, and then it came to a point where I sort of realised, to be honest, that, you know, if I were, if I was lucky, I might have scraped a, a career in League One, League Two. Um, but was always really interested in the fitness side of things. Um, you know, I don't know what's changed in terms of my own physical uh, uh, stature at the moment, but from a, a real good interest in, in fitness and, and conditioning and, and that side of the game, um sort of led me down the path really of continuing uh when i finished full-time playing um i went and played semi-professional um and while i was playing semi-pro i um i basically started my coach development stuff so I did my uefa c license as part of my my young apprenticeship um with wrexham and then when i finished playing full-time i, I basically moved straight into coaching so um Brian Flynn at the time and Lee Congerton actually, who's the 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 sport director at, at Leicester City at the moment. Um, he was head of the academy at the time, and I had the opportunity to finish playing, play semi-pro, but come back into the academy, which was a really good academy at the time, and and start my coaching sort of process. Um, and then the opportunity was there to to go on and do a sports science degree locally, whilst I could pretty much coach full time. So. The combination of continuing my coaching badges was was a big part of that. Um, continuing on with my UEFA B, UEFA A license at at the age of twenty twenty one, which was a which was a big deal. Um, and then 
basically having that understanding and that that concept of of sports science was coming into the game it was really quite new quite fresh added an opportunity for me to sort of professionalize myself from a coaching point of view um and then the opportunity to understand physiology and all the different bits with it um, would make me a better coach is how i initially started it um so I, I went to university as well at the same time as as playing and coaching so you know juggling all three was quite tough but it was a it was a real good baptism of fire, to be honest with you. Um, and then when I was doing my coaching badges, um, Steve Weaver, who's now the academy director at, at Norwich, um, he he asked me would I want to go on to the English FA Fitness Trainers Award, um, and that was another another insightful aspect and, and added to the coaching development process really for me, and and that really enabled me to sort of gen- generate this sort of holistic approach to coaching at a really young age and. And that sort of continued on, to be honest with you. So it was always a coach first approach um, with the idea of utilising sports science to 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 make my coaching processes better and under, have a better understanding of what we were dealing with. Um, and that sort of fueled a little bit of fire in me, really, in terms of starting the research processes and, and, and really looking at small sided games. And then obviously, I, you know, I, I moved on. Moved on from Wrexham, coaching in the academy, and 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 pretty much went straight to Celtic um, as a, as a young coach um, in the academy there, and 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 moved into the reserves, and and that was really the start of me, you know, really making that step into full time, full time, uh, full time football from a coaching point of view. So you had a sports science at Celtic, is that right? Yeah, so I went in under Kenny McMillan, who was doing some fantastic work at the time from a physiological point of view. Um, a real great mentor to me in that area. Um, we had Jan Hoff and Jan Helgrid at the time as well from from Norway that were coming in as consultants and and really I think that both of us just just learned an awful lot from that point of view. Kenny was head of sports science. I was sort of the bridge between the coaching aspects and the scientific aspects. So I made that step really into that that bridging that gap between coaching and sports science at Celtic at the, at that particular time. So. Kenny was a real deep scientist looking at, at, at the, the physiology and what was happening in training sessions and how that linked back to the research. And then my job really was to try and look at that detail and information and try and carry that through onto the pitch in terms of the, the session design process. Did you make the trip across Glasgow then? I did, but I first went from Celtic after a couple of years at Celtic, which was fantastic. You know, working and seeing the likes of Martin O'Neill, Gordon Strachan, uh, watching Henrik Larsson, you know, Neil Lennon, Chris Sutton, all big, big characters, big profiles. Janino, we signed, obviously, at the time. Craig Bellamy came in for a period. Roy Keane came in. Um, So, you know, really looking at, from a really young coaching point of view, looking at how these guys worked, how they lived, what they did, um, dealing with the pressure, the cauldron of the old firm was phenomenal. And then... After a couple of years working with the reserves and, and the youth team and dipping in and out of the first team, um, Paul Sturrock took me down to Sheffield Wednesday in the championship. Uh, I think I was 25 at the time to join his his coaching staff, which again was a was another another good learning curve for me and, and dealing with the demands of a of a fixture congested period, especially in the championship and and trying to implement a lot of different on pitch based content that would allow allow the players to develop that sort of robustness and link the gym with the pitch and really start start to um you know infiltrate that 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 sort of coaching science process and sports science process so 
Um, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday was the next stop for me. Um, I spent six months with Paul Sturrock and six months with Brian Laws, which was fantastic. And pretty much um, while I was there, uh, Walter Smith phoned me and then uh, that was me. I, I moved to Rangers and and that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a, a real, a real good progression. And then later on, assistant coach, head coach positions, then yeah, again, most recently. Great, great experience, um, sorry, um, moving to Rangers was there for eight years where, you know, it was just I stepped into the club and it was myself to start with. And then we built up a department, you know, built up from, a you know, adding in um, and, and developing what a department, what we assumed the department would look like. It wasn't really quite common in, in football clubs at that particular time to, to employ a strength and conditioning coach, to employ a nutritionist, to employ, you know, internship programs. And, and, and we really, we really did that from a really, um, you're going back many, many years, to be honest with you. What, now. what year was that, Adam? 2007. I think that's really important because even at that time, like you say, it wasn't, particularly prevalent that people had strength and conditioning coaches and nutritionists no, no. people i think people forget how new this is that's 14 years ago yeah no and and to be honest the first year i was at rangers it, i was by myself um doing everything you know as we did at that particular time that was just the norm you know we'd we look after the nutrition the monitoring you know gps wasn't even involved so it was a lot of number crunching looking at heart rates um influencing the pitch-based content you know trying to trying to drive a lot of intensity through small-sided games, which is obviously what my research was all about in the, in the younger years and, and how we embedded that within the, within the coaching process was, was really, really good. And thankfully I joined a manager that was, that was an absolute legend and, you know, he'd worked under Alex Ferguson, worked with Alex Ferguson, you know, managed in the Premier League, managed Rangers, managed big, big characters, you know, seeing how he managed people like Gaza, Laudrup, certain individuals like that to, to then going in and being part of his coaching staff was phenomenal. Um, you know, he paid for me to do my pro license. Um, he he gave me huge respect in terms of doing what I wanted to do on the grass within reason. Um, you know, thankfully we had a real successful period. Uh, we won the SPL numerous occasions, League Cups, FA Cups, uh, fantastic runs in the Champions League, got to the UEFA Cup final, things like that were just phenomenal. Um you know, that year we had 69 competitive games, you know, dealing with that scenario with it, you know, squad rotating, managing players, big characters, big players. Um, and as a really young coach going into that environment, dealing with these big, big personalities and big players that were a lot older than me was, was, was a real learning curve for me in, in itself, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic, fantastic period for me. So fast forward to the head coaching role. That in Switzerland? Yeah. So I literally left uh, Rangers. Obviously, I stayed when, when we had a few financial problems. I stayed for a year. Um, and it was a shame to watch everything that we built up over the years just, just crumble in front of you. And, and that was probably the hardest bit for me. You know, it was a club that I had a lot of affinity to because of what we'd done, the individuals there. Um, but watching it fall apart in front of you was, was really, really tough, to be honest with you. You know, not, you know, building a, a department and then watching that department sort of fall down due to due to lack of finances and, and certain things that were going on in the club was just demoralizing. So the opportunity came to go to Sheffield United with Davey Weir, which was which was, you know, he's somebody I hold in big, you know, high regard as an individual, as a leader, as a captain of the club that that I saw him and how he managed 
the changing rooms and everything and, and his knowledge in the game was phenomenal. So for me it was it was a you know great opportunity. I'd have followed him anywhere really. So um, unfortunately things didn't work out at the club. Uh, there was a lot of transitions at that point at Sheffield United and and um and then I, I took the opportunity. I always wanted to go and work abroad. It was something that I always felt I wanted to do. Um I wanted to learn a lot of different languages. I wanted to add that because I'd seen the multicultural approach of the game at the top level and and really probably, you know, you become very, very limited with the language without having different languages. So, um, you know, I had the opportunity to go to sport in Lisbon at the time. Um, that fell down due to some management changes at, at the level within the club at the time. And I and I subsequently went to Cervette, um, moved to the, live in the south of France and, and literally just hopped over the border every day into into Geneva. Uh, it was a club with a fantastic history, great stadium, um, a fantastic academy, giving youth development an opportunity. Um, and uh, and I was there for three years. Uh, loved it, you know, moved over with the family. Um, and I now speak French as a result of that. Um, exposure to German and Italian languages as well was phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we had some really good times there. We developed a lot of good, a lot of good processes, a lot of good structures, working with different cultures within a different country was 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 great experience you know the way the Swiss manage their players from a younger age is fantastic you know real small footballing nation but they never miss a world cup they never miss a European championship um and seeing how they embed that program within the club was was phenomenal and and to be able to to step in there as assistant manager um but oversee the performance side of things was phenomenal for me again it was another step up it was another culmination of, of, of contributing to the coaching side of things um, you know we had a player a young player Denny Zakaria that we give a debut to he's now at Borussia Mönchengladbach Swiss international you know real top prospect and there was a load of them to be honest coming through that 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 multicultural city in Geneva was phenomenal so yeah it was a great experience again to to go and try try your hand in a different culture you know put yourself in an uncomfortable environment which I don't think we probably do enough of um now I now I can see there's more and more happening. But um and then um during the during the Euros, after the Euros actually with Wales, I got the opportunity to go and speak to a club in Poland, which was a bit random. Uh, but I flew over. It wasn't the right time. I had another year left on my contract in Severt. My kids were settled in the in the school. Uh, you know, it was a nice it was a nice area where we were where we were living and it was a good opportunity to continue the work. So um, when my three-year contract ended, um, I didn't renew it. It was an opportunity to go and do something different in a different country with a different culture. And um, I joined as assistant manager. Fantastic club, you know, real big new stadium. Manchester United played the UEFA Cup final there last year, actually, at the stadium. You know, 50,000-seater stadium in, in a fantastic city on the Baltic Sea. Um, you know, full of international players, Milos Krasic, um, the ex Juventus player was a captain there, and and I, I joined as assistant manager. And after a after a few weeks, I actually got offered the head coach job and 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 took it. Um, and it was a baptism of fire. It was one that was you know I'll, I'll make no bones. It was very very stressful as a young head coach over there, um, but one that I really enjoyed, loved it, absolutely loved it, and 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 being able to manage a football club from a performance perspective, which is what I wanted to do. Was something that I that I absolutely loved at the at that particular time. There was a lot of difficulties there, 
um, players not being paid, you know, trying to get players to to run around for you and fight for you on a on a on a match day when when they hadn't been paid for two months was was tricky. But um, you know, thankfully that 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 we built up a good rapport with the players and and that was really really positive. So a great experience again. I'm going to come at you with a with a question that we discussed off air. It's something that has come up loads of times in the podcast, especially probably more recently in the last year, Paul Balsam, Dave Tenney. And for someone that's straddled the coaching side, if they are different, of course, that we're presuming here, the, the coaching side and the performance side, for anyone that's out there listening who's a sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach, to get true influence with a head coach, which you've been, or an assistant coach, again, which you have been, is it, how essential is it for not only to understand the game, i.e. football in this instance, not just from a peak demands research side, but actually really understand the game on a deeper level, not to the potentially to the extent of someone like yourself with a, with a pro license and 20 years experience, but actually try to understand the game on a deeper level and I think then I think we do how important is that because influence is something that gets talked about a lot or lack of from a sports science perspective I've seen and like you've seen probably analysts get influence because they understand the game they get in with the manager because they've got that commonality where I think sports science still sits outside of that and for them sports scientists to come in and get that influence long-winded question but I'm guessing it, it requires pretty a long answer. How yeah. important is it for that to happen? It's a really good question. And I think it's different. It's difficult because when you follow a career path down a certain route, it's, um, you know, especially having been played the game, you know, played in Scotland, played in England, played in Wales. It's It's been, it's always been a part of what I've done. So the, the natural, you know, elements of, I think it I think now football science is more specialized you know for sure you know where sports science was quite a generic term where you would get you know even when I was a young player we'd have an athletics coach come in and, and work with us and he'd work on running technique and he'd work on you know and all that was sort of you know based on laps around the pitch or straight line running etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know the crossovers now I think you do have to have a, an understanding of the game without a shadow of a doubt you know if I'm honest with you um I think your knowledge should be deep. It should you should have a deep knowledge of football. You have to. You have for you to be able to prescribe a program to a player in any way, shape, or form. You have to understand what the demands of the game are. So that's a starting point. Um, you know, have you ever felt what it's like to do a preseason? Have you ever felt what it's like to do some of the drills that you're actually asking your players to do? Do you understand the recovery elements of that? Do you understand how it makes you feel psychologically, everything else? So, you know, that was one of the reasons why we really focused on our research in small-sided games at that particular time, because it was it was hard work, you know? It was hard work. It was, we wanted to look at the fitness elements of it, but I think a lot of that comes down to if you're if you're based in a gym or you're based in a lab or you're based on the pitch. So, you know, I think you need to be able to to provide demonstrations in certain aspects. If you're asking players to do certain things, then from a coaching and a clarity point of view, even if it's a return to play based drill, you know, you gain more 
how do you say, common ground with the player by being able to demonstrate certain things, by making a pass, by making a dribble, by getting the ball out of your feet, by being able to scan. Be, you know, we're adding these demands onto what we want to the players. And, and it's not necessarily always um, the case, but I'd, I certainly think that you build a better rapport with players over a period of time. Um, and that professional standards, um, if you do have that 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 sort of understanding of the game, I do think it's quite vital, especially now as as football science is growing and 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 you know developing that link with the manager. I think nowadays managers, when I look at you know maybe the older type managers, I think maybe they they probably didn't really um, give too much focus on certain elements for it. Whereas nowadays, I think some of the managers that have come through the process. They've worked with sports scientists. They understand how that works, strength conditioners. They understand their value within the game. So I think probably there's a lot far more respect in the game now um, than there was probably 20 years ago. When you say the quote, deep deep knowledge and understanding of the game, yeah. I know you've given a couple of examples there with demonstrations and things like that but the, the common the common comeback will be and it's been given to me before when i've mentioned it on twitter which is not the beyond and it's not getting a probably a good representation of the industry but it's one that always comes back yeah but we've got all these things to do we've got to get a masters we've got to get a uk state we've got to get bases yeah. in our own sector of section of the industry yeah. now you go in okay we've got to do this this and this in yeah. the technical and tactical aspect, yeah. we can't do that. Like just from a monetary point of view, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can I kind of get that. Yeah, no, but, I, understand. I understand that as yeah, well. I'd just think. like to get your view on that. Yeah, no, and and to be honest with you, you know, there's so many different there's so many different paths that you can go down. Um, you know, and I think it's it's really tricky because there's not one cap that fits all, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's got their own interests. Everybody's got their own development process. Everybody's got the career paths that they want to go down. You know, do you want to be, a, do you want to, do you want to be a performance director from a coach first approach or do you want to be a performance director from a sports science first approach? You know, there, there's many different ways that you can go down. And a lot of this comes down to what the club directed, what the direction of the club is and what the club is actually looking for or the people within the decision-making process, you know, and they can all be different, you know, they can all be different. And, you know, the demand, I suppose the the thing that when I look at it is there's, there's an awful lot of people coming out of university with degrees in sports science. Okay. And that that's absolutely fine. But, you know, as you've alluded to in numerous occasions with, with, with your comments and, and your reports that you've done is, you know, what does that look like for the, for the end result you know what what's the what's the career trajectory for these people coming out with degrees you know how you know there's not there's not enough jobs in the game that that's going to satisfy the actual demand um and i think that's that's a real a real state of 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 play at this moment in time and something that you know it's very, very difficult because you see jobs for jobs sake as well. You know, you see some clubs that are littered with sports scientists and nobody's really doing anything that's affecting the pitch. You know, before it just used to be, you know, myself, <laughs> you know, and now you can walk into a club and there'll be four or five sports scientists working with the first team in all different areas. And that's fine. Um, you know, and within that, you need to be more specialised. Of course you do. Um, but we've got to make sure that we don't, we don't end up employing people in roles that, you know, my biggest bugbear 
when I when I see a lot of research or I, I look at a lot of different things and I, and I spend time at clubs or whatever it may be, you know, what are you actually affecting what's going on on the grass? You can collect as much data as you want, but what influence are you having on the pitch? How are you changing the session design phase? How are you influencing what's being done on a weekly, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, and how is that impacting results? Because if not, it's just a waste of resources. And that's my, that's probably where I'm looking at things at this moment in time and, and really scrutinizing, you know, what are we doing and how is it impacting the player performance? And that's where this bridge comes in of having a knowledge and understanding of the game Yes, but a common ground with the coaching staff. And you've got, I mean, my next question was going to be, as a minimum, what do you think the minimum requirement would be for a sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach, working in football, wanting to have an influence or more of an influence on a technical coaching staff? Do you think it's a level two UEFA C situation? Do you think people should be aspiring to go further than that and UA for B, UA for A. Do you think there should be a minimum not minimum competency and evidence that you actually understand the game on that level? Well I think if I think if you look at the game now, you know, and I've been very fortunate over the years, you know, I've spent time, you know, spent a couple of weeks with I uh, spent a couple of weeks with Ancelotti when he was manager of AC Milan. I spent time with Pochettino. I spent time with different managers, you know, across the world, which has been been great for me to see these high performance coaches work. And you know, they all have a very good understanding of sports science, technically, tactically, physically, cycle. They may not be experts in these areas, but they have a fantastic understanding of where it fits within the process that they coach and manage. Um, so. If you're going to these types of managers and these these top end coaches and, and and real good coaches that you're working with, you know you have to be able to engage with them on different topics. You have to be able to engage with them. You know, I believe in the future that the top managers, as we're already seeing now, will have a good, a better and better understanding of the physical outcomes of players and and the, and the, and the weekly tapering structures and everything else that goes with it. Um, and as a result of that. There's an argument to say that um, as we go through the process, you know, our our tactical based sessions. Um, so when we're delivering coach education, our tactical based sessions have got a physical involvement. So at what point are you a, are you a strength and conditioning coach that can then start to say, well, I can take the fitness based content on the pitch because I understand what we're looking for from a tactical point of view and I can deliver the tactical content within the physical stuff, which is what coaches and managers are now doing at the top level of the game. Um, if you're unable to do that, but you want to work in these particular roles, then there's probably a ceiling to where you can take that through onto the pitch. Um, because as we know, our whole process in sports science and, and, and coaching science is maximising the efficiency of the training sessions. So gone are the days where, okay, you go over there in the corner with the fitness coach and do your work and then come back to us and we'll do the, the technical tactical stuff. That's gone and that's going. So if you want to really express yourself as a strength and conditioning coach and have an impact on the pitch, depending on the types of managers that you work with, you know, not everybody's the same. But what I'm seeing now is that all this content will be delivered through technical tactical based content. So then all of a sudden strength and conditioning coaches will be probably more seen as, you know, late stage rehab, rehab, 
strength conditioning coaches, gym-based content. Um, and that's where, you know, maybe individual-based uh, physical add-ons or whatever the individual process and tapering structure of that player is. So for me, I think, you know, you probably we've probably answered it there in terms of where the game's going, you know. If you don't have an understanding of the game, but you're trying to talk to managers and coaches about, you know, the physical returns of certain sessions and the physical returns and how we implement the tactical based strategy within the physical intensity of the game and the training content, then that's going to obviously have a, have a limiting or have a ceiling effect at some point. But that's my only, that's my opinion. That's, you know, yeah, no, yeah, not that I've been in the environments that you've been in, but from a from afar, that's the evolution. And speaking to people like yourself, that's the evolution that I'm seeing. And people need to be hundred percent of where aware of of where people like you see things going. But just on that point, am I wrong in saying that in the latter stages of coaching qualifications, be a pro license, that there is big a big education piece on the physical aspect? So, so people like maybe not Ancelotti because he's probably gone through his coaching badges years and years ago, but the newer, fresher coaches do have that deeper understanding of the physical side. So why, on the flip flip side, why shouldn't the physical guy or girl have a deeper understanding of the technical and tactical? Because they're coming to you with knowledge that you can't really go back and, and join the dots. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point, you know. You know why is it okay for the technical and tactical? So, for example, delivering a license content or being a coach educator, delivering on the pro license on the UEFA pro license and delivering on the UEFA A license. You know, we've re- with the nations that I work with, we we're cur- we we've recently revamped the A license program that is an awful lot more structured towards gaining a massive understanding and a real detail in the physical returns of particular sessions and particular tapering strategies across the course of the training week so you know their knowledge based on what the act based on the activities that they're doing now from a from a coaching progressive uh, or coaching uh, the coaching process that they're following through especially at UA for a license level and the pro license to a certain extent they can probably hold better conversations about understanding loads understanding what's required on certain days and when players can recover and the types of sessions players can recover from and can't and where that fits into the tactical strategy and how we build our technical based content around the physical output so to be honest with you um that's been something that we've been spe- we've spent a lot of time for the last four or five years uh, with the nations that i'm working with um embedding that program in so now coaches are quite comfortable in delivering sessions where it's the four corner approach and we're maximizing that four corner approach. So as you rightly say there, how is it okay for technical and tactical based coaches to have a, a real good detail and understanding of the physical outcomes, but it's not the other way around. And that's where I believe the evolution of the coach is going. And again, it will come back to, you've got all, the, all this stuff to do in our own little sector. Yeah. Well, so have they from a technical, technical and tactical point of view, but, they're taking the time and putting the energy into understanding and for a lot of them that's probably i mean you can speak on this more than i can but because of the depths and the the physiology for example that's pretty hard for people that haven't 
had a potentially had got a degree. They've been coaching for a long time. They probably haven't done formal education in that area for, I don't know, since A-levels potentially. So that's going to be tough for these guys and girls to 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 understand, not giving any disrespect to them, but where we could go the other way. That transition going the other way should be a little bit easier, I'm thinking, from a from a sports science perspective, given the acad- academic yeah, no, understanding absolutely. of these guys and girls. That, that's where, you know, for me, the combination of the two is always yeah. is always the way to go, if, if possible. If you want to gain a deeper knowledge in a certain area, you have to you have to throw yourself into it and try and extract as much information in that particular area as you need to. Um, you know, when I think about it, of course, you know, if you want to evolve as a coach or a strength conditioning coach, then you know, you know, nutrition is important, so you have to go and involve yourself and 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 understand the details of nutrition. You know, but you know, you open a can of worms because the the more you know, you know, the less you know to a certain extent <laughs> in terms of you know where that takes you to. You know, it's the same with psychology. It's the same with you know these are core sports science elements. But for you to be a better coach, do you understand motivation? Do you understand, um, you know? How do we how do we motivate the staff that you that you're probably leading? How do you how do you motivate the players that you're working with? You know, everybody's different, but do you understand that individualization process? Do you understand psychology to the real to the real detail as well as nutrition? You now they're two fundamentals that even if you're a coach, you might not be an expert in those areas, but you understand that they're important and they fit within the program that you're running. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Adam. I hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around the modern football fitness coach and what that entails and why people getting into football, as in soccer, may want to consider getting some coaching qualifications to enhance their ability to communicate on the field and also get buy-in from head coaches and assistant coaches. So a cool, very interesting part two coming up with Adam. This episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is sponsored by Black Box Fitness. Black Box Fitness are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design. Black Box are specialists in designing and building performance facilities for sports teams and strength and conditioning coaches. Black Box manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from their headquarters in Belfast right across Europe. If you want to learn more about Black Box, check out their website blackboxfitness.com or follow them on social media at Black Box Fitness. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com 
or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And this episode is also sponsored by Stanta College. Stanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit tantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And now back to the interview with Adam. Just to move on a little bit, and you mentioned GPS a little bit earlier in the in the conversation, I'd like to get your insight into life before GPS. Life before GPS, because it's come up in conversation lots of times with people who have specialised in this area, people who work as performance directors, heads of sports science, heads of strength and conditioning, who are dealing with this kind of data, data every day. But there's people out there who obviously don't have access to GPS. And even those that do, I think it's good to reevaluate how this data is used. Why are people using it in the first place? And how they can potentially marry the expertise and understanding that were developed pre-GPS into the current GPS landscape from a, a technical, tactical, but also a physical point of view? Yeah, I think, you know, people have been coaching for many, 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 many years prior to GPS being there. We have to, in my opinion, um, you know, when it first came out, a few people were scared about it. They weren't sure what it was, how they could maximize its use, what it was for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we only had we only ever worked off heart rate based content. You know, that was where we were. We were we were number crunching, spending hours looking at, you know, time spent between different zones and how that influenced the the players and you know, a lot of testing, a lot of trial and error. Um, then GPS came in and obviously it was a matter of a few years just looking at the data, seeing what it was telling us. Um you know, quite interesting. We did a real study early on on the on the back of that, and and just looked at the sort of tapering strategy across the course of the training week. You know, what were we doing, and and how did that look on a minus five, four, three, two, one, for example? Um, you know, that was a really basic starting process with it. But I think we've got to a point now where, you know, in my experience, GPS should never be dictating the session because you as a coach, you as a practitioner, you know, before we had this basic concept, basic coaching elements of overload, specificity, the element, the coaching concepts were there previous, you know, two five-minute games, three five-minute games, four five-minute games. That was an overload. That was a progressive overloaded structure, which we knew would add an extra little bit of load in a safe manner, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
Now, you know, we use it every day. The analysis, the reports are very specific based on what we look at. You know, real basic metrics that 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 we know that are linked back to individual, you know, differences, you know, um, across the course of the week. Um, and yeah, it, it's there to really confirm what we want out of the day. So based out of the particular training day, you know, what's the focus for the day? What's the tactical focus? What's the technical focus? What's the physical focus? What key metrics do we want to try and overload or or um, elicit on that particular day and how that then affects the following day, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's again, it's another piece of the pie. It's not the be all and end all, but it certainly assists you, um, you know, in in probably um, it, it assists me massively in terms of the session design process. Did we did we achieve what we wanted to achieve? Um and it's probably more of a confirmation tool. Um, and of course, with the lifetime-based stuff on the side of the pitch, it's a lot easier because if there's certain things that you know you want to try and achieve on that particular day that you haven't, certain players may not have been able to do so due to the coaching practice, due to the breaks in the coaching session, due to the due to the area sizes, the density not being quite right. Um, you know, all these different impact, uh, these, uh, these key variables have an impact. And for me, it's just one... GPS helps confirm what we're doing, but two, it also enables us to to act lifetime if we need to just top up somebody in, in, in a specific area that, we, that we're looking for. We've all heard of the stories of the misunderstandings potentially from a sports science point of view or misunderstandings from a coaching point of view, all that disconnect between those two elements of the performance team leading to practices or individuals been cut short in practices because they've reached a certain threshold of distance or intensity or something. We've all heard the stories that guys hit 5k, whistle blows, in you go. That's clearly a misunderstanding and a super, super oversimplification of the the information that's been collected and, and delivered. Are them days gone or are there still potential people out there who have that misunderstanding i know that's very much a general question no no i don't think they are gone i think you know and i and i fully value i fully value in terms of managing individual players in that way um especially if we know an injury history we know certain players can handle certain things if you know and and an awful lot of the performance level the first team level when you're airing on the side of caution and you know certain players have got certain certain weaknesses or certain susceptibilities to certain types of injuries then of course you can you know you you can affect that based you can affect that 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 training day with a lifetime stuff so i i totally understand that um, and i'm an advocate of doing it and working that way um however if it continues to happen after week after week after week then there's an argument to say that you know the manipulation of the variables or the the this training session design is wrong um, because you haven't been able to influence the training content over a period of time. So if you're then clashing with a manager because you're telling a manager he's done too, certain players have done too much and he doesn't understand where you're coming from, then it's an education process. It's an education process with the manager, but also, um, you know, and that's where, for me, the, the you know, with the job that we do, if I've got my performance hat on, the job that we do, we have to be able to influence the training content to a certain extent, to be able to maximise what we're trying to do on a daily basis, based on our sort of tapering strategy, you know, if if the coach is getting frustrated because certain things are happening 
you know, every day there's, there's, then, you know, the fact of the matter is, as the head coach, everything's on your head. You know, if you lose games or you've got players injured because of the content that you're delivering, then you have to accept that. And that's that's just part of the job. That's part of being a head coach. And, and that's something that having been a head coach now, I fully appreciate. You know, the fact is when I was a, an assistant or head of performance or whatever it was, you're going into the manager and you're telling the manager what you think you should, what we should be doing today. But then when you're the manager, you you understand all the different elements that are coming at you from a media point of view, from keeping players happy, from, you know, trying to trying to extract and do the right thing by the players to, you know, from a tactical point of view and everything else. And, you know, when I came back into that assistant role and back into that performance type role, my mindset had changed to being better in terms of asking the manager, what do you want today? What's the most important thing you want from a tactical point of view and a technical point of view? And then we would start to formulate a plan to maximize the physical elements based on what he wanted. So that that was a massive learning curve for me being a head coach and understanding the pressures around it. Um, so it does make you it does make you understand a little bit better about you know making sure that you're looking after players to a certain extent. But I don't know if I answered the question there, but I went off on one. But no, 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 that's that's good. Um, from from a from a sports science perspective, putting your coach, assistant coach, head coach hat on, and there is players that maybe restricted in certain areas and the advice would be that this player only hits x number on a certain metric the delivery of that information is obviously super important to ensure that it doesn't come across that the sports scientist is dictating trying to dictate too much of, of what happens in terms of delivery of information particularly in that example what would be your preference as a head coach and what are the preferences of head coaches that you've worked with in the past that has had a positive impact all round and that conversation is a little bit easier to be honest with you I think as long as you've this is where building that rapport with the management building the rapport with the coach gaining the trust you know getting them to understand where you're coming from things and and that level of respect which okay can sometimes be a bit easier if you're coming at it from a coaching point of view um, you know, I've never really had any conflicts in terms of that. You know, that's been a way that, you know, the fact of the matter is all managers want their players fit and healthy and, and on top fitness to be able to perform at the weekend. So as long as that's the goal and that's the that's the end goal, you know, what I found with 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 more experienced managers and coaches was they would be quite happy to let certain individuals manage the training process and make sure that things were done properly because they were really only concerned about the match day, making sure that everything's right for that match day. So for me, you know, whether I'm lucky or whether it's just the process that we go through, um, yeah, it's never really been an issue in terms of managing that. Um, I think if you're a bit of a strong character as well, when you're, and, you're, and you're, very, you're very clear and concise and to the point with what you want to try and achieve out of that particular day looking after certain players then 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 I don't see that being an issue one thing I must say is every club I've ever been to um on the first day I've always presented the methodology of how we work to the players and to the coaches um and by doing that I find that the buy-in from the players and the coaching staff and that understanding process and that coach education process of what you want to try and do 
is bought into an awful lot better. Um, because the fact of the matter is you're in a job or you've been taken into a job because they want you to work there. So if you go in and then highlight how you work, what you do, listen, that's already done generally before you get the job. But the fact is, when you present that to the players, the buy-ins there, the coaches buy in a little bit more and under, their understanding of, of what you're trying to achieve, that makes life a lot easier for you further down the line when you start to implement your own processes. And you would do that whether you're coming from a performance angle like a performance director or yeah. an assistant manager, coach, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it gives players, you know, players like structure. They like to know what they're doing. They like to understand what's being done on a daily basis, you know, and, and when you go up and work with the top, top players, they're fantastic students of the game. They know exactly what they need. They know exactly what they need to eat. They know exactly what they need to do on certain days to a certain extent, you know, and, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some with some real good top top players over the years, and and you you have to extract the information out of top players. Um, you know, in China, working with Javier Mascherano or Lavezzi, um, you know, understanding what makes them tick. They were top top pros, top top players, wealth of experience at top top clubs. Um, you know, and that exposure to them and 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 picking their brains was huge, but. You know, to sit in a room and present you the methodology of what you're going to do, you know, to those guys, like I did at Rangers, you know, 15 years before that and, and, and every club I've ever been at, just enables players to just understand. If you can't justify what you're doing on a daily basis with players, it's very, very difficult at times to, to, to stay in the job, never mind uh, keep them on side. For coaches and performance coaches who don't have the the luxury of working with the likes of Javier Mascherano and, and the guys that you've worked with. There'll be people in their environment who are ultra professional, whether in League Two in an academy or League One in the first team or whatever it may be. What was your tactics and techniques to try to extract that information from the likes of a Javier Mascherano that people can potentially replicate or take little bits away so they can try to get that information from players in their own environment. Was it just a sit down and a coffee? Was it yeah, over, it's, over? It's a, always about, yeah. you know, whether you're a strength and conditioning coach or you're an on-pitch coach, a technical tactical coach, you know, you've got to develop a rapport with players. You have to engage with players. You have to understand personalities of players, what players like, what players don't like. You know, people talk about man management and, and honestly, you know, you may have the least amount of knowledge in a certain area, but if you're engaging, you know, you'll get certain players that will follow you because they, they like you. They want to, they want to, you know, uh, for me, it's always been about engaging and, 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 and having that sort of building that sort of rapport. And I, you know, you'll never, you'll never build it with everybody. And I totally understand that. But if you're, if you're trying, you're engaging, your sessions are always, you know, high energy, full of, full of enthusiasm, um, then I think it doesn't matter whether you're working with academy players, you know, under nines, under tens, under fifteens. Um, I think I think you'll you'll get more out of them that way. From an education point of view, just tapping into your coach educator um, side of of what you're currently doing, is the man management side, or what aspects of a pro license, for example, or UA4A, is on that man management side? Yeah, there's big. The, to be fair, it, it's dripped. It's drip fed in from from 
you know, UEFA B, UEFA A into the pro license content. Um, you know, these are the soft skills really that, you know, of course the, the predominant element of what you're doing is, is geared around the, the, around the pitch based content, the technical tactical stuff. However, you know, you're being developed in all these other soft skills at the same time. So, you know, it's not necessarily one particular course that, that overloads in that particular area. It's a continuum process, just like everything else is when you're in education. It's a continual process, you know, starting with some basic concepts and mental skills approaches, then into leadership, then into, you know, motivation and, you know, managing up, managing down. There's many, many different concepts involved within that process. So it's it's not necessarily a it's all thrown into you at one particular course. It's drip fed in just like you any any degree courses as things get more progressive the higher up you go and the, and, the, and the better learning capacity that you have in that area. One thing that you've had throughout your career is this link to academia and writing. How important has that been for you in your development? And you've gone down the route of uh, visualizing your papers and other people's research in, in infographic style um, delivery. Is that something that's helped you take in the information? Is that something that you've done just to, can I educate others? My first question is, how important is that thread being throughout your career? No, absolutely. It's been it's been really, really it's been really important for me. Um, you know, it's very easy to not not involve yourself in any research from when you finish your degree, and I totally understand that. Obviously, you know, going through the process, doing my doing my master of philosophy degree, then doing my PhD over in Lyon in France. You know, that was, you know, that was just something that that intrigued me in terms of um, how can I be a better practitioner? You know, how can I develop that coaching link? But also at the same time, there was always a target. You know, I always wanted to try and, I always wanted to try and continue in both areas and just see where it led to. So you're obviously, you know, going through and doing your pro license, but then academic going through and doing a PhD and, and, and going on uh, developing a professorship and things like that is that's what's, always interested me and intrigued me because one works with the other one one helps the other um, and by that I mean you know the deeper learning you have from an academic point of view and, and really understanding the physiology the psychology the the types of sessions and, and what the outcomes are of particular drills and sessions and, and, and processes that only makes you a better coach in my opinion because you have a better understanding um, and then you're able to manipulate sessions and drills and weekly structures and, you know, tapering strategies that, that can have a huge impact in terms of the methodology that you then employ. So for me, you know, one leads the other, you know, but also it helps me justify what I'm doing on a daily basis with players. And it helps justify to a board, you know, if you lose four, three or four games, you know, you can have that conversation from a from a very specific way and being able to justify things to players and being able to justify things to yourself is very, very important. You know, we've all worked with managers where you might lose on the Saturday and on the Monday he's doing something totally different, <laughs> sending players for a run, he's do whatever it may be because of the frustration of getting beat. Whereas if you've got a very specific methodology that you employ and you follow and you believe and you can justify, then players will look at you as a coach and go, you know, they'll be waiting for you to change something when defeats happen. They'll be waiting for you to change. Um, and for me, just being able to consistently drive the message about what you do, why you do it, et cetera, et cetera, just adds to that little bit more uh, of a calmer approach in terms of making clear, better decisions as a as a management team. 
and living and dying by that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, as people do, you know. So the last thing I want to mention is the ISSPF, because it's another project that you're involved with. Would you be able to give us a bit of a, an overview of, of what that is as well, coach education-wise, obviously yeah, a big no, thing for you? No, it was interesting. You know, I was approached about, you know, I do a couple of different consultancies and I was approached about, you know, getting involved with with this organization and it was quite interesting in terms of, you know, it made me think a little bit more, you know, one of the, one of the journeys I, I, I literally got up six o'clock in the morning, one morning I flew from, um, from Manchester to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Shanghai. It was about, oh, it was horrific. It was about 18 hours. I, I was traveling for 18 hours, got to the border at China. I was delivering for the, for the, for the, uh, for the FA over there. Um, Anyway, my visa had expired, my previous working visa from when I was working over in China. And um, anyway, as a result of that, I was refused entry, so I had to fly back. I flew back to Manchester, drove back here, I travelled for 40 hours, got into my house and delivered online the lecture that I was supposed to do in China 40 hours. I got back in time for it. And then it made me think a little bit more about... Coach education, you know, I'm, I love doing it. I must admit, you know, try and share knowledge, share skills. And actually, I take so much from the candidates that you deliver to. And um, the IWSPF thing came around about that time. And I thought, well, you know, it was an opportunity to, to deliver more coach education based content online. But but looking at the softer skills approach in terms of nutrition, psychology, training, methodology, injury prevention, everything that 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 was a hot topic and is a hot topic within the game is something that's been really I think really well received. Um, so it's a faculty of experts from around the world, all delivering coach education content online that is specific to the approach. Everybody involves a, has been an elite practitioner, an elite academia, um, or an academic. So, so the combination of the two, uh, very similar to to the to the process that I've that I've followed over the years, and it's, you know, I must admit it's 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 growing. Um, it's growing. Bit by bit, you know, the interest in it now. There's there's university partners and, and club partners all over the world, um, Champions League level through to MLS, through to Chinese, through to it's really really interesting. South African clubs, so it's yeah, it's a really good. Uh, I think it's a really good resource for people who want to gain that little bit more knowledge in in the football area from a football specific concept. Perfect. Well, I know we've come at this conversation from a knowing the audience, which is a strength and conditioning sports science audience and kind of putting the coaching within that. But there's also the obviously the, the flip side, which a lot of your content is coaching based. And that brings me on to where people can find out more about you, your obviously the courses we've, we've kind of mentioned that the, the project you're involved with there. But social media wise, where's the best place for people to contact you, Adam? Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn linkedin uh twitter is a good one um and obviously a lot of content comes through you know again really interesting based on on the dissertation that i wrote for my for my phd combined with some coaching sessions and drills that we've done before um i was approached about doing a book um which i did so you know that's been that's been really successful as well so i've been really pleased with that um and there's what's the book called adam uh football conditioning okay um uh, a modern approach um, so that's been been really good soccer tutor um but the uh the uh, the publishers of that um so that's gone down really well again and, and we're in the middle at this moment in time in, in in putting two two more books together 
um, which I'm really excited about, which will give a real good insight into into football science at the at the top top level. So that's that's in process. So lots of different things going on. Um, but in terms of the coach education process, and and the information that I share, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, and and obviously through through the through the website, um, iwspf.com is 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 progressing really well. So they're probably the best ways. Love it, mate. Well, thank you very much for giving up your time. Apologies no, for stalking no you for the probably the best part of four months, four no, months to get this done. But I'm su- I'm no. super I was super excited to get you on, and uh, no. there was a reason I was pestering you. If I wasn't bothered, I'd just binned it off. Uh, when uh, we, we couldn't get the Wi-Fi, so uh, no, no I appreciate no. it, and um, no problem, yeah, good, good to have you back here. No worries. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, mate. Speak Take soon. Bye bye. Bye, pal. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So 365 episodes in, and I finally got Adam on the episode today. So it was an absolute pleasure to get him on. Big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Satanta College for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate their support. So if you haven't seen... High Performance Training for Sports, which was the most recommended book from podcast guests in the first 300 episodes. The second edition is out. So to mark that, we've got David Joyce and Dan Lewindon coming on the next episode, as well as some guest authors. So the authors who contribute to the book are also coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. So super, super excited for a jam-packed next couple of weeks of episodes on the Pace Performance Podcast. So thanks a lot for tuning in, and I will chat to you next week.